Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, October 6th, 2023. So Kevin McCarthy is gone. And the mainstream media, Fox News, they're calling Matt Gates and the members of Congress that orchestrated the ouster of McCarthy agents of chaos. And they've got a lot of nerve. They're trying to prevent chaos. We've got out-of-control out debt. We're accumulating $2 trillion a year in debt. We're funneling money to Ukraine with no end game. We're pushing the envelope, pushing us toward World War III. We've got the border open. We've got an open border. We have no country if we have no border. And again, I've got nothing against legal immigration. But illegal immigration undermines a country. And then we have inflation. We've got this massive amount of debt just fueling continued inflation. We've got the 10-year bond at decades highs. We've got the financial markets in turmoil. Quite frankly, they don't know what they're doing. Nobody knows what's going on in the financial markets. The Federal Reserve, these so-called experts, these economists, no one knows what's going on. And they'll tell you that at this point. And that's not chaos. High inflation, high debt, no border, World War III. This is what Gates is trying to prevent. But in this crazy world that we're in right now, doublespeak, the people that are trying to address chaos are the ones that are being called chaotic. And it's like JFK said, you got to crack a couple of eggs in order to make an omelet. So the end result on this is good. And McCarthy has no one to blame but himself. He negotiated this debt ceiling that gave the Biden administration an ability for unlimited debt over the next year and a half. And we've already been allowed to accumulate $2 trillion in debt because of what McCarthy did with this debt ceiling. And McCarthy did very little to stop it. We've got the continuing resolution. And that's because McCarthy failed to address basic budgeting. He knew that the budget was ending September 30th. And what did he do? He just dragged his feet. We've got a $7 trillion budget. And he shows no respect to that. And he waits to the last, to the last moment and tries to put a gun to the House's head and say, you got to vote for this. He failed to release the J6 tapes. He said he was going to release the J6 tapes. He failed to do so. He failed to put forward a resolution to start term limits. Didn't do it. And then apparently he had this secret deal with the Biden administration to fund Ukraine. And this is in spite of what the American people want. A recent CNN poll came out and said that 55% of the American people oppose further funding for the Ukraine war. So what McCarthy did is just continue the chaos. And Gates and these few Republican Congress people stood up and said, no more. We got to stop this chaos. And it's so ironic, the mainstream media, 
Fox News, many of the rhinos, they just want to continue this slow decline of the United States because it allows them to make money, allows them to keep their power. So when people call Gates chaotic, they're wrong. Blame McCarthy, blame Biden. And some people ask, well, why did the uh, Democrats vote to get rid of McCarthy? And it's quite simple. They just think that whatever throws a wrench into the operations of the Republicans in the House is good for them. Because for them, it's continued chaos. And the Democrats love chaos. But the reality is, is Gates, by getting rid of McCarthy, trying to stop this chaos. He's trying to stop this madness. So now we have a play for who's going to become Speaker of the House. And I guess the two main candidates right now are Jim Jordan and Scalise. And apparently Trump came out earlier this week and said, hey, look, you know, if you want me to come in as an interim Speaker of the House while you guys figure th- things out, I will. But he came out and endorsed um, Jordan. So I think next Wednesday they're going to start voting for or have rounds of voting for the new Speaker of the House. It could be interesting. Because Trump could wind up as the Speaker of the House if they can't come to any conclusion. So we shall see. It's going to be a really interesting week next week. So for those outside this country who may not know, it is not so much a a, a fight between two different parties. It's an internecine warfare within one party, the GOP. Yeah. And sadly, so many of those extremists, those mega extremists, um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who at some point, you know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members, but something needs to happen. And that was Hillary Clinton talking to the globalists that all Trump supporters are cultists and need to be deprogrammed. The 70-plus million people that voted for Donald Trump and likely the 80-plus million people that are going to vote for Donald Trump, they're all cultists. But this is an act of desperation. It's just them pounding the table. They've tried everything to stop Donald Trump. They tried everything to stop us. And they're calling us undemocratic. And I, I can't get over that rationale. If you vote for Donald Trump... In a democratic process, an elected president, that's not democratic. That's against democracy. But in their warped minds, it is because they're not in control. Because they're Bolsheviks. You have to remember they're Bolsheviks. They want a select few people controlling the world. And if you, grow, uh, and if you don't agree with me, oh, you must be a cultist. Nothing more than pounding the table. That's what they're doing. Showing their desperation. And with that said, I want to go to an interview. It's with uh, Steve Bannon and Bill Arkin. He's an editor at Newsweek. He came out with an exclusive article this week in Newsweek that said that Donald Trump followers targeted by the FBI as the 2024 election nears. And you have to understand that Bill Arkin is a liberal. He's not a MAGA guy. But he's a reporter that wants to tell the truth. 
So I want to go to this interview. It's with Bannon and Atkins. It's, it's a long interview. It's about five minutes, but it's worthwhile. And it's really important that you listen to this, which I'm sure you're going to do anyway. But let's go to the interview, and then we'll come back and discuss. Bill Arkin, who's no uh, right-wing ideologue, uh, a, a, a national security reporter, a national security guy, and now a reporter, been some of the biggest, the paper of record, the New York Times, the political paper of record, the Washington Post, and other mainstream media organizations, writes a blockbuster story in, um, in the cover of Newsweek magazine, and it is a blockbuster. Has anything about what's really going on that you expose in this explosive story come up in any congressional hearing that you've seen? Not really that I'm aware of, Steve. I mean, the truth of the matter is that uh, the FBI and most importantly, Washington uh, has identified Trump and MAGA as the greatest threat of domestic terrorism in the United States. It's just fact. That's what's happened. I asked an FBI guy once who was going on saying to me uh, the problem of fentanyl in America, the problem of gun violence in America. And I said to him, well, uh, if I look at statements by the White House and by Secretary Mayorkas at Department of Homeland Security or Christopher Wray at the FBI, if I look at their statements, they're saying constantly fentanyl is the biggest threat to America, or they're saying constantly that gun violence is the biggest threat to America. Why are they focusing so much on domestic terrorism? And the answer that the FBI guy gave me was, well, fentanyl uh, is a threat to America. Uh, gun violence is a threat to America. Domestic terrorism is a threat to Washington. And that, in a nutshell, sort of explained to me the landscape of domestic terrorism investigations and the work of the FBI today. It's a threat to Washington. And whether the FBI should be involved in uh, regulating or trying to regulate or even investigating uh, free speech in America and political action and political activity in America is a real question. But the biggest point that I wanted to bring across in the article was that this is just something that nobody wants to talk about, uh, which is that the federal government sees violence in the 2024 election and sees extremism as they define it in the 2024 election and is going to focus on it as a priority over the coming year and um, nobody is really questioning, including in Congress, whether or not this is uh, what the FBI should be doing or whether or not this is indeed what the American people need. Um, we had the FBI situation about the memo they lied about, about looking at um, the Latin mass Catholic churches, which is the, the hobbits of the hobbits, as breeders of domestic terrorism. And, 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 they, and Chris Ray lied about when challenged. Has anybody... At all, even outside Congress, has anybody besides yourself tried to drill down into the FBI about this, of how active this program actually is? Not as far as I'm aware, Steve. This is sort of the first article that's written on this question, and it both presents the data that shows uh, what the FBI's concentration is in terms of its investigations and its assessments, but at the same time, it raises the broader question of uh, whose responsibility it is for even thinking about this and whether the FBI is the legitimate agency. So to me, 
uh, this is the opening for a lot more investigation and a lot more. I imagine in the coming days, uh, as this article continues to uh, be read by more and more Americans, uh, the liberal news media will most likely uh, try to come up with the official line that counters uh, what it is that I'm saying. But again, this was a two, two month, three month investigation in which I talked to people on all sides of the issue and talked to a lot of people inside the government. And uh, I'm pretty confident that in fact, this is the state of play, uh, that MAGA has been targeted. Um, the FBI will say, well, they're only targeted if they're going to be, uh, uh, if we see that there is some evidence of, of, of violence. Uh, but this is the new FBI. This is the post 9-11 FBI where they see themselves as having to uh, stop terrorism and stop uh, violent extremism before it happens. And that's a different FBI than the FBI of the past, which is one that investigates lawbreaking that has already occurred and brings it to the courts. This is now the FBI that says, uh, we're going to look at people, individuals who might be prone to violence or might be organizing or might be carrying guns, and we're going to define them as domestic violent extremists and handle them in our counterterrorism program because we want to stop uh, violence before it occurs. And it's an interesting paradigm, but it's not necessarily one that comports well with the First Amendment. And this is a liberal sending out a warning. Now, just two key takeaways that I get from this uh, interview. He's talking about an FBI agent he spoke with, and uh, he said that, well, everybody in government has come out and said that fentanyl, gun violence, they're the biggest threat to the United States. And the FBI agent told him, yeah. But domestic terrorism is a threat to Washington. And the domestic terrorist is MAGA. You, me. Now, the other thing he also pointed out is that the FBI used to be a bureau that went after people that committed crimes. But the new FBI goes after people who they think are going to commit crimes. And that's dangerous. Particularly when you have Chris Ray already testifying that he doesn't answer to you and me. He answers to Washington. So he's going to do what Washington wants. What the elitists want. That's who he answers to. And that's a bad combination. But Arkin says there's a silver lining. And he talks about how there's pushback internally. There are some agents that say, hey, look, this is wrong. We're not going to do this. So let's go to the clip. And then we'll come back and discuss. And that's not the federal government's role. So the good news is there's a lot of people in, within the government and within the counterterrorism world who say, no, we don't have this right. Uh, we're basically trying to take the 9-11 model uh, and, and apply it to MAGA and the Trump supporters. And that's not right. So to me, uh, there is some uh, small silver lining in, uh, in addressing this question. And it's good to see that there are some good people left in the Bureau. But that's not enough. Now, one of the things that we should expect a new speaker to do is to haul the FBI 
in front of Congress to talk about this. Because this can't be tolerated. This is America. This is the land of free speech. This is the land of opportunity, not equity. So we shall see. So Joe Biden is going to build a wall. And this is nothing more than a talking point for the upcoming election. And they're using this phony excuse that, oh, they have to do it because uh, the budget law had appropriated money for the wall in 2019. And, and if they didn't spend it, it would be illegal. Yeah, that's nonsense. They could have held it up. They, sh- they could have challenged it in court if they wanted to. But they just want to give the appearance that they're doing something. And they're building wall. It's all about the talking point in 20, for 2024. And the funny thing is, is that in the process of them having to build the wall, Mayorkas has to come out and declare that, yep, there is a state of emergency on the border. There is a problem with the border. Total 180 degree turn. But again, this is nothing more than a talking point. So Biden in 2024, if he runs at this point, whoever the candidate is, said, oh, well, we did. We built some wall. Because this border policy is a disaster. And they got to do something politically to mitigate it. And that's all that this wall is. So let's go to a clip with Karine Jean-Pierre trying to tap dance around this whole issue. So let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss. So just to be clear about this, the president earlier today said that he was asked, does the border wall work? He said no. But in this statement that was posted within the last 24 hours, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary says there is presently an acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers and roads in the vicinity of the border of the United States in order to prevent unlawful entries into the United States. So who's right? The statement from the DHS secretary overnight or the president's comments today saying they don't work? So a couple of things. Yes, it showed up on the register today, but the announcement, it, this is not new. This is from six months well, ago. Well, it is new because the waiving of the laws actually didn't happen. <laughs> but it was, it, this is something that uh, was out back, that the DHS was put out back in, in, uh, in, in, in six months ago. Well, so annou- they announced. Did they no. waive the laws six months ago? Well, what I'm saying is DHS announced this back in, in June that the agency would do so. They actually said that they would do that so back in DHS. with it today, but the initial announcement was six months ago by waiving the laws. So that's what's new today. Understood. So yes. the statement when Just he said make presently sure clear was on filed. So when he said there is presently, are you saying when he says there is presently, he was referring to six months ago or referring to the date of which it was filed? What I can tell you is DHS announced this back in June that they were going to move forward with this. That's what I can share with you. That's what I, I know is to be true and is to be fact. Look, I can speak for the president. The president said he was asked directly. He doesn't believe a border wall is effective. Does he have a disagreement with his Department of Homeland Security I, I, Secretary? What I can tell you, what the president, I, I, I want to tell you what the president said and what your colleague asked him. He said, no, he doesn't believe that I the border wall is effective. speaking in direct contradiction to what his own Homeland I know, I Security hear you. Secretary I says. hear you. I'm speaking for the president. I'm saying that he has said that he does not believe a, a border wall is effective. That's what he was asked. He has said that for some time now, and it still remains to be the case. And it's all about obfuscating. Now, Biden's come out and said, yeah, the wall doesn't work. But you know, in 2024, if he needs it, he'll say, hey, my administration built 20 miles of wall. And that's what it's all about, just to placate people in 2024. Now, not about today. 
But this is all about 2024. Now, the other thing I read into this, I just don't think that Mayorkas is long for the course here. I think he's either going to get fired or he's going to resign because they need a scapegoat for this. And the administration finally realized the disaster that they created by their policies. And I just don't see Mayorkas long for the course here. I'm just reading between the lines. Now, the other thing I find ironic is that there are reports that the Biden administration was selling pieces of the wall that was left over from the Trump administration that wasn't erected for cents on the dollar. And this how this is how ludicrous this administration is. They're trying to cover all the bases. Oh, they're selling the wall for one uh, cents on the dollar, but at the same time they're building wall. Total mass confusion. So we shall see. Now, the other talking point that the Biden administration passed recently is a small loan forgiveness program. I think the total is $9 billion. Now, remember, originally he wanted to do this massive blanket student loan forgiveness program, uh, which totaled about $300 billion. And the courts came in and said, no, you can't do that. It's unconstitutional. So what he did is he scaled it back. He looked at two or three different programs. One of the programs that he targeted is this program that if you work for the government for like 10 years and you continue paying your um, student loans off for 10 or 15 years, they'll they'll waive the remainder of your uh, loan. So the Biden administration comes to a total of $9 billion that he is now going to forgive. And I'm calling them out. I think it's BS. It's much lower than $9 billion. And you'll be surprised how much lower it is. And I'm a finance guy. I know how these things work. Now, they said they're going to, uh, you know, look over these programs with a little more scrutiny and find people that should have taken advantage of the program but didn't or fell through the cracks. But still, there is no way near that they'll be able to waive $9 billion. But it looks good in the paper for them. Now in November, you can say, well, we didn't get the full thing through, but I was able to waive some student loans. And the $9 billion is BS. Again, it's much lower. And here's a warning to those bureaucrats that are managing these programs. If you do anything to look the other way in order to get these people's loan forgiven or fudge paperwork, The Trump administration is going to scrutinize you and bring you up for charges if you did this. And quite frankly, that's the only way that a majority of these people can take advantage of this uh, program. If the bureaucrats in Washington that work for the Biden administration fudge the paperwork. But it doesn't matter. All they want to do is get that $9 billion headline, which is phony. Oh, and before I forget, if uh, this decision can be challenged, they should challenge it. Whether it's $1 or $9 billion, if it's wrong, it's wrong. It should be challenged in court if, it, if they can. And if they have to, they have to claw back this money from the people that the Biden administration gave this money to. So we shall see.
Okay, let me give you an update on Donald Trump's civil trial in New York. Civil trial with this wacky judge. This is the judge that came in and said that Donald Trump committed fraud when he overestimated the value of his properties. And many of you already heard. He said this crazy judge, that he valued Mar-a-Lago at 18 to $24 million when the market value of Mar-a-Lago is closer to $1 billion. And then what he wants to do, he wants to penalize Donald Trump by breaking up his company in New York, taking away his business license in New York. So let me read you a quick article that just came out. And it says here, New York Appeals Court halts the process of breaking up Donald Trump's businesses, but rejects stopping the trial. And this is from CNN. I can't believe I'm reading it. It says a New York appeals court judge on Friday rejected Donald Trump's attempt to stop the ongoing $250 million civil fraud trial, but temporarily halted the process of breaking up the former president's businesses. And that's pr- pretty much it. He got uh, a win and a loss. But ultimately, this uh, is going to meander through the appeals court because, look, th- this crazy judge is going to find him guilty no matter what. And he's already said that for 80% of the case, he's guilty. He committed fraud. This crazy judge valued Mar-a-Lago at 24, between 18 and 24 million. Notwithstanding that the market value is closer to a billion dollars. And with that said, I want to play a little clip of this crazy judge. His name is, uh, last name is Angaran. And he's talking to some college students, I think in 2015. And he's telling these college students that I make decisions based on emotion. Juries sometimes get it wrong and I can overrule them. So let's go to this clip and then we'll come back and discuss. Now, I'm going to say something controversial, even though I'm being taped. Juries get it wrong a lot. That's my own opinion. I do only civil trials, personal injury cases, contract disputes. But I've had situations where like, oh my, my heaven's sake, how could they have thought that? Well, I have, a, um, I have a tool that I can deal with that. It's called jury notwithstanding the verdict, judgment notwithstanding the verdict. I can say there is no possible way that a reasonable jury would have reached that conclusion. And all right, am I following the law or am I making law? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm following law, I'm, I'm an impartial referee, but it's hard to factor out my own emotions. And I have tools, somebody can say, well, Your Honor, you have to throw out this case because it's just like another case. Well, is it just like another case? What if the defendant was wearing a red sweater instead of a blue sweater? This guy is insane. He's essentially saying he's not objective. He lets his own emotions play a role in what his decisions are. But it doesn't matter to the Democrat Party. Now, a lot of you have seen these clips of of Senator Kennedy from uh, Louisiana interviewing these potential judicial nominees in the Senate. And he's asking them questions. Some of these nominees cannot answer basic legal questions. But it doesn't matter to the Democrats. Oh, and by the way, this, this is not a nominated judge. I think he was an elected judge. But he was elected in New York. They don't care. It's all about getting Trump. So where was I? 
But Kennedy exposed these judicial nominees of the Democrats not knowing fundamental law because it doesn't matter to them. What matters to them is they meet a political objective. And this is what this judge is doing here to Donald Trump. And you'll see in the other cases too. But this judge is going to find or has already found Trump guilty in a summary judgment. So all that is left is just to adjudicate a small portion of the suit against Donald Trump. But it'll be appealed through the process, and he'll be a victor on this. But again, it's all about lawfare. It's all about trying to drain Donald Trump financially. But just remember, we win in the end. And with that said, thank you very much for listening. You have a good week, and I will talk to you next Saturday.